And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Listen to the sound of evil. It is out there, waiting. I'm sorry for this. Powerful, deadly, invisible. They came to take a holiday. Now, they are running for their lives. Because something is out there. There are secrets. There are mysteries. There are forces beyond imagination. Challenge them, and every living creature, every blade of grass will turn against you. yourself for the fright of your life. Christ! Long weekend. An experience in terror and suspense. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Osploitation? Yeah, I love Crocodile Dundee. Good day, mate! Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this? See? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the- Now go! 
and thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! on my camping trip. I just got my tent pitched. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a double entendre. I just don't know where it is. But <laughs> very, very frustrated right now. You're frustrated? Well, nature's probably frustrated with you, which is why, of course, we're talking today the 1977 film. Not the remake from 2008, which didn't even know existed until a short while ago. Starring Jesus. Have you seen that remake? I have not seen that remake, but I mean, the idea of Jesus in, in this film is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> which Jesus? Is it William Defoe? No, it, it's it's Caviezel. Which, which one? In Passion of the Christ, Jesus. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay, about... William Defoe was Last Temptation of Christ, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. was Last Temptation of Christ. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, Passion of the Christ. We're talking about Torture Porn Jesus. Yes, but, yes. But we're not talking about that version of this, the film. We're talking about 1977's landmark of Ozploitation, Long Weekend, directed by Colin Engelson, with a uh, script by Everett DeRoche. Apparently, he wrote the, the screenplay for the remake as well. And starring Colin Eggleston's wife, which is why, of course, we get to see her breasts so much. And yes, we do. Yes. 70s breasts. 70s breasts, yes. Un, unaltered breasts. As God, as God made them. Um, I had to watch this and rewatch this in two sections because the, after that first twenty minutes, I was so sick of this couple. <laughs> I was oh. like, "You suck! You suck! I don't want to have anything more to do with you." Here's the thing: usually, I feel the same way about people like that in movies. Of just like, "Oh, I hate this guy. Why do I want to spend time?" trying like with a movie trying to humanize it or make me sympathetic to, to this person but this is a man versus nature or i should say nature versus man <laughs> movie one of my favorite genres this is nature picking on this thing no 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 man's got it coming in this one yeah oh, oh yeah no no yeah exactly i, I that's mean... why it's like all right yeah, I want this guy to be. I, I personally, if I would have ever have like gone into quote unquote the biz and not yeah. like movie biz, but TV, 
my first TV show I would have pitched would have been like a clip show, like World's Funniest Home Videos, but it would have been called Get 'Em. And it would all it was all inspired by this one video. It was a viral video of Russian TV, and they had like a trained bear on the talk show. And they walked out, the, you know, he's got a collar on, and it looks like, you know, some guy's old, tra- and he's just going, don't worry, he's he's friendly. And the bear just looks at this woman, mm-hmm. and something clicks. It Maybe it's her perfume, maybe yeah. he just didn't like her face, but the bear is just like, raw, <laughs> and grabs this woman who's doing nothing, and... I wanted to do a clip show and it was just, and it would just have voiceover of someone going, get him, get him. And it would always be where, you know, like the, the dumb Korean kid who's sitting against the koala bear fence at the zoo with his backpack sticking inside the fence. And the koala just comes over and like yeah. starts savaging his backpack. I love those. I love those things where the animals just turn on the people. And this, this, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those is- movies to so, this film is that there's never an attempt to make us sympathize. I'm rooting Peter for nature in this one, 100%. Peter and Marsha are horrible people. They are awful. And at first I'm like, oh, I'm feeling sorry for her because her husband's such a prick. But yeah, she's no prize herself. No, no, she, she's not. She's not. And I mean, it's like almost from the first shot when you you pretty much know that the girl that, that, that Peter is saying goodbye to, he just fucked. Right, right. And she's on the phone with somebody who, some guy, and she's talking him down, so. Yeah. You, you know, well, well, he, in, in, like, scene three, he's, he's, he's viewing her through the sight of a gun as he gets out of the car, just like doop-a-doop-a-doo, hey, let's check out my new site. Oh, I'll just train it right on my wife's forehead right now. So, yeah. There's definitely some tension between the two of these people. Oh. And they're setting it up with the subtlety of Sam Peckinpah. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. It's like these people have, I mean, have no concern for anything other than themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, and I'm also. Oh, I, I hit this kangaroo. Instead of going and trying to see if it's well, I'm just going to run over it. Yep. Yep. And First, he looks over to make sure that his wife is asleep. I don't. I don't know. Well, that's the thing is, they're terrible people, but they 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 want to project that they're uh, uh, well. I don't think they th- even think they're terrible th- people. They they both think they're awesome. Yeah. You know. They, especially Peter, he thinks he's just the shit, you know, and he's going to project it as much as he competence. And I'm an outdoorsy guy and he's just the most incredible bore at the same time. I mean, at first I thought this might be kind of a subtle movie <laughs> and, and because there's and it was setting up just neat little background subliminal sort of semi subliminal things like you know whenever a tv like when the tv's on they're talking about birds attacking a person and when they're in the car you hear somebody's talking about a ufo on the radio and it's just sort of it's just sort of like okay they're setting up a nice little background of just weirdness you know not not anything that might actually you know directly come into the plot 
but just like yeah things aren't right right now and and i was liking it it was really subtle and then as it went on i realized okay yeah this is going to be about as subtle as 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 in the last episode with uh, with the fuck you gun on top of yeah. <laughs> the bear the running bear, through yeah. the town right um, <laughs> i i think that the film lost subtlety the second he runs over the the, the kangaroo Yes, and I, was a kangaroo harmed in the making of this picture? Because that looked like a real kangaroo. Well, the, the 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 shot before it gets hit, that's a real kangaroo. But I, it looked like a, it looked kind of like a really sophisticated stuffed toy to me. Okay, I well, it's the only scene I saw from the remake. Yeah, was the kangaroo scene. And I, I I don't I I accidentally pulled up a clip. I was I think I was looking for the trailer for this movie, and I pulled up a clip, uh, the 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 a clip of just that scene on YouTube and watched it, and saw, and was like, okay, I have no desire to see this remake, because the scene. Okay, so this one is like a Dark Knight scene, you know, you see the kangaroo by the side of the road, he hits it, and then he backs over it. It's all very just sort of low-key it's very much like really how you would hit an animal driving down the street in the in the remake it's in broad daylight there's like you know he's in a uh, trailers there's a trailer in front of him and you know he hits the kangaroo the kangaroo flies through the air bounces (laughs) off the trail it causes a multi-car pile-up you know it's it's like a scene from final destination or something (laughs) And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not not interested in the in the remake at all, even out of curiosity. It looks like it looks, it you know, they're, they're, oh, let's take all you know, let's take all the elements of the original movie and yeah, and and pump them up. And it's like, yeah, no, you don't get it. <laughs> no, no, this is just. I love this movie. I just, I'm just gonna keep saying that. I just love <laughs> it. Is this is in. This inhabits sort of a p- same place in my psyche as these are going to be maybe two strange movies to to pull out, but Orca and yeah. Straw Dogs. Um, Straw Dogs had that. Of course, it's a Peck and Pa movie, and it's right. a, a little more artful, but it's also uh, you know as subtle as a jackhammer. Right. But it has that just that way of showing the ugliness of people just plainly and barefacedly as it goes on, you know, as you... I, I love straw dogs. And I think that the message to that film is everywhere has a fucking back of, you know, back of the beyond West. That, that movie was, is one of the like cinematic, I didn't see it in a movie theater. I saw right. it on late night, Fox TV. Our Fox station in the 90s would play R-rated movies at mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning. And this was back in back in my wild days when I liked the LSD. And a friend and I had taken some LSD and were in our apartment and said, let's see what the, the late night uncut movie is. They pick up some pretty messed up movies for that. Turn it on out of nowhere, Straw Dogs which I had yeah. never seen. I just knew it was a movie by Sam Peckinpah. Mm. And by the end of that movie, I felt like I had just gotten physically and emotionally beaten to a pulp. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's it's basically <laughs> the origin story of a psychopath. 
Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and it was just so intense at focusing in on the ugliness of everybody and the mm-hmm. uncomfortableness of every scene and stuff that's implied metastasizes in the most horrible ways. And, and, and the way this reminded me of Orca was that 70s man versus nature right. intense, intensity where it takes itself really seriously right. and it has the undercurrent of you know the environmental movement of the time you know there were a lot of very pessimistic environmental movies about how you know we you know nature hates us and and wants to get back at our rape of it and uh and this had that that this had that intensity of like let's focus on these horrible people and that you know just you know, I mean, I guess maybe this reminds me of Orca because there was the scene of, you know, when Orca's mate dies and the baby's on the the, right. the boat and they hose it off and, you know, and yeah. And I, I, I love those movies. They're intense. They're kind of, they're kind of mean and bad natured, but yeah, <laughs> that's how I picture nature getting back. I think there are two interpretations to what goes on in this movie. Believe it or not. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I know where you're going with this. One interpretation is is the one that we're discussing right now, which is that you know Peter and Marsha are just nasty people who abuse the environment, and the environment just has had enough of their shit. Yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy who just basically shoots his gun off. Yeah, like he's jacking off into the underbrush, and then you see the cutaway. It's like, oh baby ducks without a mama yeah. <laughs> throws his match out the window it's it it starts, it, it starts a forest fire. fire you know yes. just everything is just is just gross you know oh there's some there's some wildlife spray bug spray yeah. on it <laughs> yeah other interpretation i was thinking about this. the other interpretation was that that there were there's some if we want to take a more, more traditional horror movie tack on this film that this is kind of a haunted place that amplifies the emotions of the people who stay there. Yes. And and, and if they're negative, awful people like Peter and, and Marsha are, then the nature around them will be will respond in kind, will reflect that. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that that, that one the, the one scene that kind of, only that the only scene that really kind of hints at anything supernatural going on, which is when he goes, they find the the VW bands submerged in the in the water, and he goes down and he sees the bodies. Yes. Yeah, that was, and that was somebody else who just that was like almost another movie, you know, yeah. that, that that went on that we didn't see. That was that was one of the surprisingly subtle things about it, you know. Um, but you know, I mean, early on, there's also that other layer where where you start realize, okay, there's bad blood between them. You find out, you yeah. know, you can tell she's been, you know, you find out she's been having an affair. I thought they were gonna let leave it. Like, well, she was I, having an affair because he wanted to have an affair, so he forced, he, he kind of manipulated, 
that's what I got a, from that. A argument. very set 70s swinger type yeah. of uh, situation that would happen in a mar- marriage. But I, at first I have a note here where at, at first I thought they were going to do it subtly and not let you know <clears throat> and just leave it as subtext. But, so, you know, there was the affair. But then I was starting and then. You know, she was saying, well, I'm feeling better now. And I'm like, "Okay, there was like an illness or something. And then I'm starting to think, oh, maybe it was an abortion or maybe she lost a lost a a miscarriage or had cancer or something. And then I'm and and then I'm like, "Okay, I'm crossing out the cancer because now they're focusing on her with an egg. So yeah. it was obviously had something to do with, but then they, they eventually spell it out, you know, and right. I, I sort of wish they hadn't spelled it out because it was there, it was there and sort of hanging. And I liked it to leaving it to imagination. But, you know, by that point, I also realized that this movie isn't really interested in being too very subtle at all, no. like Orca or right. like the this white Buffalo or something to learn you some. Yes. Yeah. This is this. It's beating you over its head, over the head with its conceits. But I like it that way. I I love the oppressive atmosphere of this, where every time he messes up, you hear birds yelling yeah. at, him, and you hear the the sea cow crying out all the time in the distance, just as a wraith. And yeah, nature. I mean, eagles fly out of the sky. Right. Much python like and claw at your face you know just because they hate you well it was the egg you just killed yeah. their egg well no, but, they kill the egg after the she she throws the egg against the the tree after the eagle attacks oh that's Peter. right that's right that's right it's afterwards but the eagle's coming after its egg it's because she's got mm-hmm. the, the egg and uh I, I I I just love it. It's creepy as hell. The sound design is creepy as hell, yeah. and at the same time, the cinematography is gorgeous mm-hmm. and moody and it's beautiful. It's kind of hard not to make the Australia, Australian wilderness not beautiful. But at the same time, it's also very frightening because it's yeah. it's it's real wilderness. And, you know, the, the the scenes where they'd be walking through the woods and you see how shrubby and dense mm-hmm. those woods are. And the scene where he finds a, the, the, the other people's dog just huddled in growling at him is 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 one is a wonderful scene because you've got this like animal that and the animal is trapped between halfway between, you know, the human world and the nature world. And it's starting to go feral, you know. It's maybe been spared right. from its, <laughs> from the fate of its masters, but um, uh, it's beginning to revert to instinct. So, in fact, I was surprised. For some reason, I was expecting a cricket to attack at some point. Yes, yes. Poor cricket. Yeah. Oh my god, uh, cricket's such a good dog. Yeah. Cricket's such a good dog with a prick master. And then at the end, when all he's got left is cricket, and they're saying, you know, and, and he's going, he's going crazy. He's just like cricket. You're the only one who, you know, the only one who gets me. You're my best friend, cricket. You'll never, you'll yeah. never leave me, cricket. And then he leaves her in the car. I will kill you with up. a spear, cricket. <laughs> yeah. Then he leaves. He he leaves cricket in the car with the yeah. with the with the windows rolled up to die. 
right. could be found as a skeleton someday. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even and 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 they set it all up. You know, he you know he's just like we can't leave. Crick, the wife's ready to leave cricket and right. Oh, you know, he, he's he's got the relationship with cricket. She just wants to dump food in his his bowl yeah. and leave it for leave him for a couple weeks. <laughs> and uh, and that's also a beautiful. I've known people like that who who their pets are like that. Their pets are like a decoration. You know, I'll right. see them on Facebook sometime. Oh, my dog died. I got to get a new dog. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I talk a lot on Twitter about, about my, my rescue Katie Tabitha, who's sitting here with us. I don't show pictures of her because that's really not, I don't want to display her. She's, she's my companion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a person. The last cat I had, when that cat died, I was outside of it like an old, like, you know, like a, like an old comic book holding its body up to the sky and wailing at the, at the gods, you know, it was horrifying, you know, it, it, the people who are just like, like get, get a new dog. Like it's a new pair of shoes, like confound me and they make me very angry. And I like to see them get tortured and killed in movies <laughs> by nature. <laughs> See, that's what I love about this movie is I, I tend to favor nature over humans. (laughs) So boy, oh boy. Yeah. Show, show me a human, you know, show me that human. He's a human stereotype. You're stereotyped humans, but yeah, that, that makes it all the better. And I've known people like Peter. I've gone camping with people like Peter who are just blissfully unaware Hell, uh, there like, is. We're, we're recording this on the nineteenth of January to give people some context. I'm, Earlier I'm today, we saw. Yeah. Mm-hmm, we saw evidence of people like Peter harassing an older, an elder uh, Native American man. Yes. Yes. Somebody, and 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 it was, and 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 I was mentioning that like that was my morning. You know, I usually don't get I I try try not to get sucked into the rage cycle of our modern, you know, news or communications or whatever. There's something new every morning. Yeah. No matter what your point of view is, somebody's got something to show you that will instantly get your goat. And that in something about that person got my goat. And yeah. it, it was because. They were so so clueless and at the same time com- so confident in themselves, in their cluelessness, that yeah. you just want to correct them with a fist to the face. And that's Pete. I mean, the Peter's hateful the minute you first see him in his little tiny car where he's yeah. like kind of huge and it's something about it is almost comical. But at the same time, in the way he's maneuvering it, he's just sort of forcing it around you know and it's just like yeah this guy is going through life completely unaware of everything around him completely uncaring of anything around him and at the same time not only thinking he's the greatest guy but that he's actually doing it right you know that he's that he's a a kind compassionate good person and no 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 you need to end up kangarooed yeah, Sir. yeah. <laughs> it's 
it's just I mean I wonder the thing is that we should treat this film not as a horror film but oh we can like I said I have you could even say that the fact that he almost makes it out alive but is the you know can be seen as supposition of my fact that this is just like a supernatural place but we really need to see this more as a parable this is Colin Nicholson wanting to say let's be nicer to Mother Earth and I want to read off from a canopy the uh, public library somebody left a comment which I, I think they totally miss the point <laughs> this guy David and David I'm sure you're a lovely guy I really do says what an odd film an unhappy camping weekend he wants to surf and she wants to go to Eldon and they are terrorized by the native wildlife this could be scary but this is Australian wildlife like possums and wombats which are too adorable to be really frightening uh, and a sea cow I, I, is I, not a frightening animal I, but <laughs> that that wombat is made very very threatening in this <laughs> yeah I, you've never been bitten by something adorable apparently that's that's the thing is these things should be adorable but they're not they're turning on him well actually no they 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 might look adorable but they are but it's nature it's untamed i was just thinking i just thought of this i don't know why i didn't think of this during the movie but couldn't this movie also be taken as like the delusional story of a murderer mm-hmm. like it well, yeah, maybe that, only that's if he lived it again yeah that's something i wanted to, to bring up which is Do is even though it's shot as if it's supposed to be an accident. I think there's some question as to whether uh, Peter consciously shot Marsh. Oh, yes. Spoilers, guys, for a film that is what forty some odd years old. So deal with it. Um, shot Marsha with the the harpoon. Which they didn't telegraph that too much, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's I when by by the end when he's going when he's just running through the woods, you know, when yeah. it's just his end when everything's just gone cuckoo crazy and he's running through the woods and all sanity is gone. I was thinking this could be the you know you catch him and you know they find his wife back at the camp with a and it, it, obviously he was contemplating it. At the beginning, if you look at it, the whole scenario is like, hey, honey, who doesn't like camping very much, want to go camping with me and my new spear gun? And uh, yeah. in an isolated spot that even the natives aren't even really sure where it's where it is. You want to you want to do that? And then at the end, oh, geez, nature turned on us and freaked me out. And you ended up accidentally getting shot with a with a spear gun. Tough break, you know. Or I could see it like him telling the, you know, the cops saying like, yeah, you know, guy, guy went nuts in the woods and killed his wife, you know. That's 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 how I sort of thought it was gonna, it it, it could have gone, but it would have it would have uh, it would have only been if he he'd lived at the end. There's no reason to have that this be an illustration. Well, I guess it could be. It could be an internal yeah. internal representation of him going crazy and. And being so convinced of his own goodness 
that he had to he had to convince himself that all of nature went nuts for him to kill his wife because he's not the kind of person who would kill his wife. As a matter of fact, he had to go through this whole delusion just to justify it to himself, maybe. I don't know. I don't think they put that much. I don't think that's what they were going for. Well, with... this was the second screenplay by LaRoche. His first screenplay is not exactly a masterpiece of subtlety either, which is Patrick. Oh, okay. But that's not... I, I haven't seen... I don't remember much of Patrick, but I remember seeing it on HBO as a kid, just catching it randomly and going like, this movie is way better than I would have thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the guy who's in the hospital, right? With psychokinetic yeah. powers? Exactly, exactly. And Susan... Yeah. And a thing for Susan Bengal. Yeah, that had some really that that yeah that was uh, I, I remember seeing that back to back with a similar movie to it called The Manitou. Yeah, that had an American Indian spirit that ended up like crawling was possessing a guy and ended up I think crawling out of his uh, his torso like Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. It's. An interest. Patrick is an interesting film primarily because of the, the person who directed it, which was Richard Franklin, who goes on to direct Psycho 2 and uh, Cloak and Dagger here in the States. Oh, I and like both of those movies. Franklin is a great devotee of Hitchcock, and it shows in almost all of his work. And I think that he imposed some Hitchcockiness onto Eggles, onto, uh, not Eggleston, uh, Onto DeRoche's script. Oh, the, um, that that scene with the TV is like almost a direct reference to the birds, you know? Yeah. It's almost like a news. It's almost like they're watching a news article about the birds happening somewhere else. So, oh, by the way, I looked it up. That was a real dead kangaroo. It was, uh, but uh, they some... they apparently purchased it and transported it. It wasn't like they killed it on. on no, I, it... I was gonna say like I think like just just cruising the the highways of of Australia, you can find a dead kangaroo. It's like a you know a dead deer or dead yeah. possum in America, and also you know as as I've n known from like listening to George Miller talk about stuff like that, you know. That was the kind of thing you could do in those days. Just like, ah, go get us a dead kangaroo and we'll run over it. There wasn't as much regulation about it. But, I mean, yeah, this is, this is it, it's a parable. It's not really supposed to be a horror movie, although, it, like I said, it can't be interpreted as such. Um, and it's Well, I just thought it, I, I was very surprised by this movie because, you know, every, every Australian movie generally from that time period was was just ex was just a rip off of mad max i cannot right you said that all right you're scaring Virginia, me now get me the experimental time machine <sighs> i'm going to have to bring you before the master what did I say? That did, did, did I say something wrong? Uh, yeah. Now remember, yes, I know, I know, Virginia. This has never been tested before, but we're going, we're going back to talk to Brian. 
nem vagyok én ezért megfizetve. Vár csak, amíg kifizetem a diák kölcsönöket, Mr. Oh, well, okay. I guess I was wrong about the Mad Max thing. You better be sure you were wrong about that. Couldn't you just give me a link to like a Wikipedia page or something? I mean, <laughs> I could watch a YouTube video or something, but I guess that's you cool. You might forget a YouTube video. You won't forget standing before the man. No, that's true. He was a little intimidating. <laughs> So let's get back on track with the with Lost Week. As much as we enjoyed the, the man from Hong Kong. Let's oh get god. Back. I guess that was not a Mad Max ripoff. No, that was definitely not a Mad Max. <laughs> you know, and, oh, the, you... and the thing that, that, that aggravated me the most about that young young sir What's that? Is that I showed you a Mad Max ripoff earlier in this? I know story. that's, but I just thought everything was a Mad Max ripoff from well, Italy and you know from Australia. Now you know differently, and sometimes that's what's so great about exploitation. See, exploitation. This, the this is one of the films that was not produced by a guy by the name of Anto, Anthony I. Gianni to stimulate the growth of the film industry the Australian government gave a, a big tax credit in the 70s for films made in Australia so Antonio Di Gianni did, and he was the one that he, he, um, he produced Patrick he was one of the ones that produced Patrick he produced Thirst which I was, I've been trying to get you to watch um he produced Turkey Shoot, uh, the man, Brian's uh, one of Brian's masterpieces. That is uh, just I gotta say I have no idea what the movie's about, but that's a great title for a movie. I love that. For some reason, that just makes me interested in that movie. Well, maybe one day we'll return to it. I, I actually, it could be something funny, or it could be a total like bloodbath. I, I don't know, but I want to see it. Well, maybe we'll return to it at some point. Um, I think you should soak in Brian's lessons to you first before we go into it. I also want to show you his all-ages film, BMX Bandits. Ah, I've heard of that movie. Yes, with a very young, very frizzy-haired Nicole Kidman. But... Osploitation, get getting back to Anthony Gianni. So what Gianni would do was he would make films in Australia, not specifically mention they're Australian, so they could be dubbed to convince Americans they were watching an American film. You could dub that. You could do that with this movie, but. Uh, just the landscape doesn't yeah. look like anywhere in America, but... The funny thing about this film is that it was a big hit in America. It was a big hit on the Grindhouse circuit because it's it's kind of icky and it's, you know, 
you you are introduced to two people you really want to see die, and sure enough, they die. <laughs> yeah, but they have was... a very unpleasant time of it, which yeah. you're glad to see. <laughs> and but it wasn't a big success, apparently, in its initial run in Australia. It has since gone on to be reappraised as a, a, a as a landmark kind of of Australian cinema. Uh, and that's another thing I want to tr- hopefully try to do if Brian will allow me to drag your unworthy self into his presence again. I well, want to try to get get you to watch get you to watch Wake and Fright, which is probably the first true Australian grindhouse film. I'd do that. <laughs> Donald you know, Pleasance learns that oh, oh Donald Pleasance okay I'm definitely in okay Donald Pleasance learns that the Outback is an entirely different form of fucked up <laughs> well that's the thing is maybe it didn't go over maybe something about the the uh, in another country and it, it, it's the the alien nature of the Australian at, outback, the way it, right. it, it it looks a little bit like any kind of wilderness, you know, like a little bit of rainforest, a little bit of like regular like uh, right. North American forest, but it, it it's not. It's got its own Australian feel to it, so that puts the whole movie into a slightly more off foreign you know, alien sort of background to it. Whereas in Australia, that's, that's your backyard, you know? Right. And, uh, although there is something to be said about how scary it is when your own backyard goes crazy. I mean, we have our American version of that with like poltergeist or something, you know, with the, it's always the suburbs going wrong, but maybe it just wasn't as intimidating to Australians because it wasn't as, as weird. Or another, another, um, American film that I would kind of almost suggest would be an interesting double feature with is Day of the Animals. Oh my god, I forgot all about that movie. Yeah. Or Night of the Lepus. Oh. <laughs> the power of cute compels you! <laughs> I love Night of the Lepus because um, The Killer well, Shrews. Killer Shrew is not, not as much, but I love the Night of the Lepus because it's so impossible to make that those rabbits look fearsome. Yeah, the bun buns. Like yes. at least the Killer Shrews, you could put you, you know you put an old raggy carpet <laughs> and yes. fake fake teeth on a dog, and it's somewhat scary. But yeah, Mister Bun Bun is never going to be scary. <laughs> Not unless it's like an adaptation of Watership Down or something, and that's only right. gonna scary to other bun buns. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I think. But the the thing, of course, is that Day of the Animals is a lot more exploitative. Uh, this film, yes, is an exploitation film, but it's not exploitative. Day of the Al- Animals is more like Irwin Allen's yeah. style, you know, or like the the all the Killer Bee movies and stuff. I'm surprised nobody's made another Killer Bee movie, a modern Killer Bee movie. Those were a big deal back in the 70s. I know, I know. There are Killer Bee movies as far back as the 60s, actually. 
I think the, f the first Killer Bee movie was The Deadly Bees, done by Amicus. It's not a good movie, but <laughs> it is very much not a good movie. But, um... Yeah, the, this... the, they had more... I think they had a little more... Uh chutzpah in the 70s because that's when the you know they first you know people were actually panicking that the that the killer bees were coming to america the africanized killer bees yeah were coming to kill us all that was around when bugs was coming out too that like wasn't that oh. like william castle was that yeah, bug? bug the the yeah. no no bug Yes, bug, bug exclamation point, as opposed to just bug, which is the William Friedkin movie from the, the aughts. Right, right. No, no, I'm talking about the one where the the ground Gilman versus the cockroaches that fart fire. Yeah, the cock. I was just gonna say the cockroaches with fire coming out of their hineys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All I remember is the 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 fire coming out of their hineys. They eventually learn to spell out words, and then the yeah. great scene where one of them drops into the woman's protein shake. <laughs> That was that was the scene that all the kids were talking about in school the next day. See, the great the great thing about about Bug, the, the great special effect that William Castle had for Bug was those giant Madagascar cockroaches that weren't as well known as they are now. Right, right. The great special effect that Colin Eggleston has in this film is the fact that he's got this beautiful fucking landscape that just slowly turns on turns into something really kind of sinister yeah i mean the minute you put that that the the howling of the you know the the I, and i don't know if that's what a sea cow sounds like howling but whatever that sound effect however they got it i mean basically you're you're looking at these stunning nature shots the second you put that on there and the random like he had a lot of like angry bird sounds and not like the video game actual like Wah! angry bird sounds and uh it was really well done and it would make a a full sunshiny day not a cloud in the sky beautiful background all of a sudden threatening and and um um oppressive it was it, it was great it was very much like Orca. There was lots of right. scenes of Orca where he'd be on the boat and you'd just hear whale calls coming through the hull and creepy as hell. You know, it's it's funny because it's like there's a, the scene where they find the sea cow on the beach that's been eaten by the, the crabs. And um, he makes that comment. He's trying to explain away the noises to, to Marcia, saying like, oh, you know, it was probably the pup looking for his, looking for her. She, you know, sometimes they sound like human children, but I don't, I don't believe that's true. No. But the, but the sound design of this film convinces you that it's kind of true in the, in the, the reality of this film. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that sea cow is dead. I mean, yeah. for for one, I I love how they filmed it at first. It, it was more like sort of like uh, the creature in the lake in Creep Show Two, <laughs> you know, or from that that Stephen King story. But it looked like it would look like just like they threw a mat in the water, but that made it really frightening looking. It could be a shadow. It could have been a physical thing. 
But then when he shoots it, the amounts, it's like it just starts pouring out like comical Peckinpah, Monty Python version, you know, um, amounts of blood to where you're like, okay. And, and I was thinking, okay, this thing they're shooting at is just metaphorical. It's a, it's a shape. But then you see the body and it's like, okay, that thing's dead, but it keeps moving, you know. Yeah. Like a like a like a horror story. Like it reminded yeah. me of like a, a written horror story, you know, an allegorical sort of thing. But uh, you know, this guy doesn't even re- you know he he's just gonna so steadfastly re- refuse to believe that there's something else going on that he's just gonna keep trying to shoot it. <laughs> and he's just too freaking stubborn to think you know to to do to quote my good friend Derek Ferguson when they walk when he when a black person walks into a haunted house uh we can't stay he's just yep. too stubborn to say okay let's go to L down and have a, a shishi pampered long weekend yeah yeah it's it's so obvious that that's what they should do as soon as nature starts doing supernatural things at yeah. you and dead things are keep crawling up to you you know it's it's no time to be stubbornly like i said we're going camping and damn it we're going camping yeah. that's <laughs> but thank god he did because i i did not want a happy ending for him and his wife they in no way were earning a happy ending there the happy ending i, I actually Actually, it is a happy ending. <laughs> because the last shot is a nature growing over Marsha. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like, booyah, bitch. We got it. Yeah. The right side won. Everything everything ended up as it should be in, in this movie. The, the, those, two, those two were taken out of the gene pool. And right. that maybe the level, the level of the abortion in there was also saying that just like, yeah, you two should should be dead ends. <laughs> right. But I mean, and I think the fact that they make sure that they're both, I mean, I, I could, I wonder if the, re, not having seen the remake yet, I wonder if the remake kind of makes Marsha more sympathetic. I I would be yeah I would be curious maybe I'll have to check it out uh, I I would bet I I'll bet it makes them both more it tries to make them both more sympathetic right. that he'll still be a prick but they're gonna try to they would try to like give them you know characteristics that you could still grab onto and sympathize with which in my opinion would be a big mistake (laughs) but it's like the desire to do that in modern hack remake film (coughs) filmmaking mind with you know a hack screenwriter who's you know may may not understand the real source material or is just like more obsessed with bringing it up to date or you know bringing it up to scale of modern stuff will 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 miss all that and be like, well, you know, maybe back in those days you could be simpler and just have two really terrible characters. But no, you know, it always comes down to people making the wrong assumption that nobody would want to watch that. Nobody would want to yeah. watch that, and that's almost always wrong. 
Well, if, it, if you do it, it right, somebody will watch almost anything. Yeah. Well, it's like I was saying to my uh, class of seniors yesterday. Um, you should always do what interests you because you never know who else might be interested in doing what that, you know, in seeing what that thing is. Right, right. You know. Well, that's the thing is that the people say, oh, nobody be interested in that. And it's just because nobody's put something like that in front of people who are interested in it. And, you know, I mean, right. the history of movies is filled with movies that came out that nobody knew that anybody would be interested in that. And it became right. a huge hit out of any out of anything. You know, the fact that John Waters had a pop movie career mm-hmm. shows that, you know. Um, I mean, I, th- I think what we were the problem is that 19, 1977, you could do something as wacky as this. Oh yeah! Oh, this trying was, this... to appeal to the four wall audience. No, as a matter of fact, this fits right. I mean, this fits right in with the tone and the feel of the movies of that time, which were pretty, you know, pretty harsh on mankind, and <laughs> and there were a lot of there were a lot of in you know, um, salient green type and. Um, Oh, what was what was the one up in in space? Uh, running. running. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff stuff like that that always, and you know, there and and none of them were. Although ever Soylent gonna... Green and Silent Running are a little more, I, I don't like to think that they think that that the the people behind those films thought they were being more intellectual. Yes, no, those those had more of a big message, you know. Yeah a big overarching message to it. And this one has a message to it to, to, you know, this one might have the message of like man abuses nature to it, but it pulls it into a real like person, personal level, you know, <clears throat> rather than like all the plants are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Soil green is made of people, people. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, but it was the same, that was the same sort of thing. It, it, it like it, it usually had to end on it would usually end on a downbeat cynical note and and uh you know this is this is no exception and uh i like that time period i like that gritty you know sort of sort of sour angry 70s view of things movies it was uh it was it was not fun i i guess I don't. I don't know if I like it because I like the ideas behind it, or because I right. just sort of grew up with that sort of that, that that sort of movie. You know, HBO was filled with with movies with unha- you know unhappy endings, and then then as I and then and I was watching the movies you know that were like five years old and making it to HBO, and then when they started making movies for me, they became averse to that, and everything had yeah. to have a happy ending, and that's. And and that was very disappointing to me. I I want a a downbeat, depressing ending. That's why, like I one of the key moments of happiness in in movie theaters in the eighties was was I was sitting and watching Return of the Living Dead, and at the end it's like, oh my god, they just nuked the whole town. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to end. <laughs> you know, I, I was just so happy to you know to to see them go back to like yeah nihilism. <laughs> It's 
you know, it's it's kind of sad. It'll sad these days that um, you can't be ambivalent in a, a mainstream movie anymore. You know, we we go back to to the book Save the Cat which was meant to say, see, this is what you guys are doing. Maybe you should change it. And everyone's going like, this is exactly what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Uh, another another egregious example is when they remade um, Omega Man, Last Man on Earth. Was it Last Man on Earth with Will Smith? I am Smith? Legend. I am Legend. Oh, okay, no, so they went back to Last the original. Last Man on Earth was first with Vincent Price, which is probably the was, best adaptation of that novel. Which is yes, funny. that that was the that was the like straight up adaptation of the novel, adaptation right. of the novel, and then Omega Man was the Charlton Heston one, which was still pretty close, but it was updated and seventy-fied. But then the Will, I, I went to the theater to see the Will Smith one, and just strictly. To, with a friend of mine who was a big Will Smith fan, and she wasn't, she had not seen, or read the read the original story, the Matheson story, or anything like that, and and you know she was loving the movie, and I was there just to see, just to just to make sure, because I was like, oh my God, there's no way that they're gonna do the real ending to this story with Will well, Smith in this movie. Actually. They, re- they they shot. The they ar- shot like four endings to it. They, one of the, the first ending they shot was the ending of the movie uh, of the, of the book, which is that he knows he's gonna he's he's dying and he realizes he's gonna become legend. He's going to become legend. He's going to become the thing that this that this new race talks about in whispers as the boogeyman. I've seen this ending. It, it it that's how it sh- I mean that's the whole big I don't I I'm loath to say twist to it right. but that's the that's what gives the original story the meat is it turns it around and says yeah this isn't really the, it, it is his story but it's his story as in he's on the way out and that like he realizes yeah, it was almost. I think George um, um, Romero was going in the same place in Land of the Dead, mm-hmm. of where it's right. like this is the, the, the these people are the new thing, and mm-hmm. I'm the old thing, and I'm on my way out, and they they just couldn't do it. They could not have the the, the modern theater goer mm-hmm. have to digest that, especially about Will Smith. Yeah. And I'm sure Will Smith probably had something to do with it too, because he's very, you know, conscious of his right. his entire image, even uh, you know his his personal image outside of the movie context. And yeah, at the end of it, I, when we walked out, I was just like, "Yep, I, I was I was all on board." Well, I started not being on board when the dog died. I was like, "Please don't kill this dog. I like this yeah. dog. They're gonna kill this dog." And uh, <laughs> but by the end of the it, the moment I was just they like, lost me, I was I was with, with, with this film with, with um, I Am Legend because I think think that uh, the director Francis Lawrence, who oddly enough we name checked uh, in the last episode with because uh, he directed Red Sparrow. Oh. Um, 
I think he's a very, he's a very good director. But the moment he lost me was the scene where Will Smith is bonding with the kid over Shrek. Okay. That's Why? When I, because I knew that the that that this film, which up until that point was fairly bleak and fairly mm. dark, was going to have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah, it's not a poorly, it's a well-directed movie. It's a well-written movie. Even with the ending, it's still not like hackily written. It's it, like the um, it's it's wonderful to see the overgrown city. That's like some really great imagery and stuff. But yeah, it's it's just like somebody wrote something with a with a with a with an idea in mind as its thesis and. We we I just don't understand it. We really want to do that. We really want to make this movie, but we want to take the the main idea out of it. <laughs> yeah. The main thrust of the whole thing that makes anybody that 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 gives it any anything yeah. to think about or to ponder or you know to put it into perspective, and just they don't think that people can take something that's to, to think about that's not an optimistic thing to think about right and, right, and the exactly. theme of hope hope beyond and and hope from a legend and hope for humanity yeah i know that theme already i'm well familiar with that theme it's in every movie so you know give me something else give me a long as weekend opposed to, as opposed to a long weekend whose who's, who's message is don't fuck with don't be a. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not it's not nice to fool with Mother with Nature. Mother Nature, yes. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that I would say at work, and everybody would look at me like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> something like ancient Chinese secret, huh? Well, like I'll try to make a point with something at work at something, and then I just totally belie my age by going like, "Yesterday, I literally went, well, it's like that TV show Newhart, not the psychiatrist one, but the one with the bed and breakfast." And they're just like, "What the hell are you talking about, Bob Newhart? Uh, what? Uh, I guess I gotta find something else to compare it to for you." Well, as you know, I'm preparing, uh, as of the, uh, by this time it will already have premiered, uh, to launch on something I promised a long time ago, which is an episode-by-episode episode podcast uh, um, about the Avengers TV series. And our whole marketing of that is, no, the other Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Because, I mean, even with someone our age they could have missed the Avengers. The Avengers were a little bit before our, when did the Avengers run in? Did they actually make it into the seventies? The Avengers ran from 1961 to 1969. So they basically were the whole decade. We here in the States only saw episodes from 1966 to 1969. Right. Right. So has a young, now both of my parents were big spy movie nuts. So, and on WWR here in New York City, they used to run uh, It Takes a Thief, 
which is the Robert Wagner spy show about a thief mm-hmm. who does espionage shit at six o'clock. And then at seven o'clock, they would show the Avengers. And of course, at seven o'clock, I just finished lunch. I just finished, you know, dinner. And that's what I was watching at that time as a kid growing up. But I, there I is, to, oh, go ahead. There is a whole. I'm sure there is. There are several whole generations that their only context for, for that version of the Avengers is the the, um, the movie with uh, uh, Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Yeah, which I never saw. I never really had the. I was just like, I don't know if. I really care, <laughs> you know, to see that sort of. Okay. The the only there there are only two problems with that. I, I like that film a lot, even though I realize it's not that good because one, it was cut down from two hours to eighty four eighty five minutes. And two, it was obvious that the director and I can't remember his name at the top was a big fan of the show didn't bother opening the show up for, for people who weren't familiar with the show, which was pretty much everybody. Right, right. So it, it was a very impenetrable show. So they, it, it had the same kind of surreal style as the, as the later seasons of The Avengers without any context. So it just came off to someone who is not familiar with the with the with the original has just a bunch of crazy crap that happens. See, I had to. I, I they used to run it on our TV station randomly, randomly. Like it wasn't run consecutively. Like I couldn't. It was always. It was always after. It was always at midnight after the late news. And uh, and. It would just be once in a while. Usually they'd run movies, but every once in a while they would run, instead of a movie, an episode of The Avengers. Mm-hmm. And then back to back with it, an episode of, I think it was just called The New Avengers. Where the New Avengers, tried, yes. The two-year the two attempt to revive the franchise. They tried to revive it, and, then, and I would watch the first Avengers and really get into it, and then The New Avengers... I just all I remember about them was they were being low energy. I was like, I think they waited kind of too long to reboot it. I think Patrick, Patrick McNee. Yeah, Patrick McNee. I think he was a little old, like getting a little long in the tooth by that time. It just had that. It had that seventies, eighties feel of, you know, almost like. To the point of where it was a Simpsons-style satire of an attempt to bring it back. I just remember not liking the the new Avengers very much, and like often tuning out. Instead of doing the Avengers, the new Avengers, a lot in a lot of cases, were trying to appeal to a more seventies audience. Right, right. So instead of doing because the. This is this is not with umbrella, charm and and bowler people, honest. Um, uh, part of the reason I love that series so much is that it's almost like a fairy tale for adults. It's it's a spy based fairy tale. It does not it's not connected in any way with the real world. 
the new Avengers, they try to connect it with the real world, and it kind of fails. Yeah, it doesn't make make sense. It's almost yeah. like the '70s version of what they try to do now when they try to put things in the real world that weren't ever there. Yeah, they, where they do it for irony's sake. Yeah, you know, and and uh, I'm really actually I got to admit one of the things I I have never seen that I really want to see is uh, Ryan Clemens who was was directed by Sidney Newman, the guy who later goes on to create Doctor Who, to rework this uh, police show called Police Surgeon into the Avengers. Uh, Tried to do an American version in the 80s with Morgan Fairchild of all people. Oh, jeez. I remember seeing it as a kid. I have no clear memory of what it was about. I want to see it again. I can't find a copy. It was called Escobar. Paid. So, but anyway, enough. <laughs> this is about Australian cinema, not about British television. But <laughs> this is a, a very, it's a very grim film. It's, it's a bit of a commitment because it's over 90 minutes long. It's almost, it's almost an hour. It's almost an hour and three quarters. But it, it did it did not feel long to me. I was never bored. Okay. Well, like like I said, that 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 first part where you're getting to know our lovable protagonists did get to did rub me the wrong way this this view well, a little bit. But once. I realized, oh yeah, we're supposed to hate you guys. We're supposed to despise you. There, there was a layer to it that made it appealing to me. That wasn't. That was just sort of baked into it from the. But that, that it was a total nostalgia thing, I guess. But the thing about it was the way they filmed it, the naturalistic way that they filmed it, and it's maybe it's something also about. Being in Australia, I grew I grew up in the country, and 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 Australia has a lot of country you know country living, and the way that they filmed the 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 equipment of the time the 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 tent the range that Range Rover that they have yeah. it's amazing what an I'm not a vehicle person. I want that Range Rover. I love that thing. I love the way it's made of metal and it's, you know, you roll down the windows and it's got, it's just, and, and, and the way they filmed it put me in, like, put me right into it, it physically, you know, the, 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 the scene where they go to the bar to ask directions with the semi hostile natives yeah. and, and the way, that it's lit and the, on the outside and it's very brightly lit on the outside and she's she's pumping gas while he's going yeah. in and the sound design of that is very much like the the old days before cell phones and stuff when country was really country right and like I remember like going camping with my parents or going on a trip with my parents and ending up in situations like that where you're outside a gas station and it's just out in the middle of nowhere and there's people inside there living this really weird sort of localized life and 
and and and just the way it looked and felt it totally sucked me into it and brought me back to being a little little kid around around nature and the the beautiful and threatening aspects of it and uh and just the feeling of camping you know the 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 and it was uh so that maybe like with when movies do that that movie could be three hours long if I like right. the, the that that feel of it. I'll I'll sit and bathe in it forever. Well, you know, that's why I can watch Tartaka- Tartakovsky movies. Okay, I, I, <laughs> it's I it's, think... it's like getting in a hot tub for me. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like I'm I'm gonna bathe in the, you know, in in the just general the the feel of this movie. I think that. The fact that Australia is basically one big island of wilderness with a couple of cities sticking out on its edges. Right. And and, it, and then the, the history of it, like it's mm-hmm. it's it's got its it's got its indigenous people who right. are very, very tied into the the, the land and stuff. Uh, you know they're 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 very native, and then the the white population of it is prisoners that got yeah. sent from England. <laughs> you know, so it's it, everything about it is 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 tough and 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 gritty. You know, it's it's prisoners thrown on a hostile environment, and they and they they civilized into it. And the other, and, and it's it's a lot of desert and 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 tough land with tough flora and fauna, right? And, right. Uh, so yeah, every and 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 meanwhile you've got Peter who's he's no crocodile Dundee. He's he's a city guy, you know. Yeah, but because he's from he's from prisoner stock, he thinks he's the right. master of everything he surveys. Right, right, and it, it's it's uh, it's very American, yeah. <laughs> actually. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I very American I think, hubris. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's Let's what's going to take away. <laughs> Those and... sea, we need to put nets up to keep the sea cows away because that's where yeah. it all went to hell. <laughs> and we should put fangs and 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 blood on the wallaby to make him scarier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm on board. But that was that. the whole see the, that 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 scene where Peter confronts the wallaby eating the grapes. The whole point is that the thing looks non-threatening. It's it's not threatening until uh, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, look at the wallaby and he's sort of yeah. like trying to get up there and he's plopping around and it's stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, but this isn't going to turn good. I'm like, uh, this is either going to be we're going to see the cute wallaby and Peter never sees him. But if Peter sees this wallaby, yeah. it's going south. He's either going to do something horrible to it or it's going to do something horrible. To horrible to yeah. And you know that. The, the moment the wallaby decides to attack is the moment that sh- that Peter makes it clear he's going to do something horrible. <laughs> yes. Through, through uh, Jim Hargrave's acting. The way you know it's like he's acting so nice and gentle on that, but you know that he wants to grab hold of it and just bring its neck. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I <laughs> and I also love how animals attack in this like yeah. it, it's very much like the the rabbit in in uh in Monty Python yeah. <laughs> attacking the knights it just goes straight they, they just go straight for the neck <laughs> no heads being taken off that would end the movie too quickly but they just like they yeah. get right in there <laughs> they just launch out of a cannon at you 
One of the things that I sort of like thought was like that I was kind of like not liking, but as I thought about it, was when okay, so they're 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 just sniping at each other, sniping at each other. Then they then they get to the campground. Well, they 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 park and just decide to sleep in the car. But then when he w- they wake up in the morning, he's Peter's got the tent. Everything's set up. Oh, look yeah. at the beautiful beach 10 feet away from where we parked. And all of a sudden she's, you know, they're making out and rolling down the hill together and they're laughing and singing. And I'm like, what is this 100? You know, all of a sudden they're happy. But yeah. then, you know, now that I've been thinking about it, yeah, they were just full of shit. They were just playing happy for each other. Yeah. She was like, I'll, I'll try to play happy and maybe I'll really end up being happy because it only lasts like maybe an hour of that day <laughs> once they have their little roll down the hill it's pretty much back to uh sniping and hating each yeah, other exactly exactly and i mean I, I don't know if we should mention that some of the lack of subtlety extends to some of the signs and and extends as far as to like the book that Marsha is reading is the Inheritors by Harold Robbins. See, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know what that's about, but I know, but he had made a mention of her reading her like dirty, dirty books. books. The Inheritors, I think, is a reference to nature is going to inherit everything back, but the book itself is about a bunch of trashy white people, right, rich people having affairs. Ah, uh, right? okay. You know, I and think that's that was, the kind of stuff that make her touch herself. I see. Yeah, exactly. And um, also the fact that they, they passed that sign. They, they passed the two signs, the one about the abattoir, and then the next sign is private keep out. Yes. It's like, we're warning you people. <laughs> Abat- a- abattoir is a – I have that word on timeout right now because for like two years – because uh, back when we did the, it's we don't do it anymore, but we were doing a Walking Dead podcast. Um, Bill Robinson sent me the first two Walking Dead novels, and I'm not a big I I collect movie and TV show adaptations, but I would say maybe one out of fifty of them are worth really are like really are truly worth reading. And this right. was, but this isn't an adaptation. It was a but it was a, you know, a, a it was an original novel, an original on... novel based on a story by Kirkman, written by another guy, and um, and about halfway through the first book, um, I was just about, I was just, I wanted to like find the author and haul him into a dark alley and go like, you're only allowed to use abattoir once in a book. <laughs> I don't care even how long that book. These are all, these are short, big print, two hundred and fifty page books. You know, whatever. You're not allowed to use abattoir twenty times in that book to describe a situation. Although I imagine a lot of times it looks like an abattoir in the Walking Dead world. You got to get more creative than that. And by the second book, and I think I made it actually into the third book. By the t- by that time, it almost became like a drinking game type of joke. You know. It's just like I wonder when the abattoir is coming up. 
right. Ooh, this this scene coming <laughs> setting up. There's a certain definitely a opportunity to hear the word abattoir in here. So when I saw it in the movie, I was like, oh no, abattoir. Mm-hmm. Not good. <laughs> but uh, this, of course, is thirty year, thirty forty years before before Bonasaro or Bonamasaro or whoever it is started yeah. writing those books. But, and, and he used <laughs> Jay, the word he used Jay the word way too much. Sluice and sluiced. Okay. He used those way too many times. Mm. So. This is an this is one of these cornerstone films in in, in a, the exploitation genre. As was uh, the Man from Hong Kong, which I forced you to watch with Brian. Um, so if you're in, if you're in, and this is like I said, this is probably of all of the different countries of Grindhouse, if you will, this is my favorite subgenre because it's just so. Wild West, like we'll throw anything into the in the kitchen sink into into the, the world. Um, so I would say it's it's kind of a rough, especially for people, younger people who haven't experienced nihilistic cinema like this before. I, I can imagine young Lars Bar Trier watching this with this while eating Cheerios. <laughs> I, I, I I'm glad you mentioned that because I can't remember the name of the movie and I've only seen bits and pieces of it. I've never seen a, a Lars Van Trier movie, but yeah, th- this I was gonna say this reminded me of the plot to one of his more like in the last five or ten years, the one with the husband and wife that go into the woods and it turns into what's that? Andy. One with Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsborough. Yes, yes, it sounded that sounded like a very sim. Yeah, I was, I was, as I was watching this, I'm like, oh, this is very much like the idea of that. And I haven't seen that movie. I've, uh, like I said, I've seen yeah. some key scenes from it. And I, and of course, it's a Lars von Trier movie, so I'm sure it's going to be realized. Mm-hmm. Much, it's going to have, it's going to be this movie through David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And um, you know a well, snuff to give you film. An idea, to give you an idea, in Antichrist, nature talks back. Yeah, like physically talks back. Physically right? talks. Yes. yes. Physically yeah, talks. Yeah, w- that's what I would expect. Nothing less from from what I've heard about Lars von Trier movies. Yes. Um. So I would I would say if you're interested in Grindhouse movies, you should definitely see this. Um. Because it, it's one of these signpost films in this subgenre. This, this is definitely our our first toe dips into exploitation, and and also since like I was always a huge George Miller fan. This is I've I've already got on my list. I'm trying to hunt it down. I haven't found a copy yet. The the. I can't now off the top of my head. I'm sure you know the documentary that came out a few years ago about not the, quite Hollywood. Not quite Hollywood. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find that, and I'm scouring eBay, and Amazon to try to find that. I'm I'm sure somebody's written. There's been a few like nice meaty books written about the whole, the whole exploitation time period because it's, I mean. It's just got that, you know, feel about it of, you know, when something like that starts happening, 
Yeah. And it, it's got an energy to it. Uh, and, you know, with all these people who are like all of a sudden can make films and are and are just flexing their muscles and and also having no nothing to go by before that the sky's the limit with them as far as like subject matter and stuff. So as I've learned, it's not all Mad Max. It's, you better learned that. Incidentally, the director of Not Quite Hollywood, Mark Hartley, also made a remake. It was his, it's just, to the best of my knowledge, it's his only uh, fictional film. He made a remake of Patrick recently. Oh. Which I'm very curious to see, because I, I want to see, because obviously this is a guy who has great respect. That's, that's always, that I'm always curious when I hear something like that, because you know, somebody like that, you you got to expect he's somebody who, A, gets it because he's so into it, you know, gets the whole idea of it. B, would have an encyclopedic knowledge of it probably even before he made the documentary. But by the time he did the documentary and did all the research and interviews, probably is like a foremost authority on it, has watched all the movies so that and and so you got to think this guy knows you know the basics of cinema and but it's still always a crapshoot whether they're going to make it some of the some of those guys have uh, have you know hit the movies and all of a sudden it's uh you know they they just totally couldn't do it and and some of them hit movies and they and they've almost like come out of the womb as a fully formed director you know so I would be, yeah, I would be very curious to see how he pulled it off. Right. So, um, I think he's written a few books too, hasn't he? I, I, I'm, I'm looking at his, uh, uh, Mark Hartley's IMDb right now, and I'm looking writer. Uh, it doesn't, it, it, it's basically, I'm, I'm, I don't know if he has or not. I, let's, but he's, he's been in the business for about 30 years, so for a while. Yeah. 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 Um, he, in fact, before he started doing the, the full-length documentaries, he was doing the uh, video extras for, for a lot of these exploitation films. So, but we're going to leave this grotty little island because I feel you need something a little after after that. Well, I was just going to say, I wish you would spare me your grotty symbolism. That was my favorite line from the movie. Spare me the gro- <laughs> when she says, "Spare me the grotty symbolism." I'm like, "Why? The movie isn't." <laughs> yes. uh, I think after after this little ray of sunshine that we just went through, uh, it's time to, to for something lightweight and upbeat, especially since I've got something planned after that for you that's really grim. Oh yeah, I've got lightweight written all over me. Okay, well, well, we're going to go back to America to one of the weirdest things Roger Corman's A- Roger Corman's AIP ever produced. Obviously shot in over a weekend. The, the black exploitation spoof, Ooh. Dark Town Strutters. Oh, I've heard of that. This, I, I love this movie to death. 
but it, it, it just like Fantasy Mission Force, this is totally bizarre. Well, you had me at Roger Corman. Yeah. Oh. This was obviously, I mean, this is obviously one of those films where it's like he had extra money left over. So he said to some guys, mm -hmm. go make a movie. And this is what they came up with. But that's anyway, where, so, that's where the magic happens in Kermanland. Yes. So that's your assignment for next time. I better not see you riding on no, no, no three wheeled motorcycles when you come when you come back. <laughs> Until then. Go! Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks. Freaks. Where have you been, Lord, friend my son? Oh, make my bed soon, for I'm weary from hunting. Hey!